today, rather than dismissing the kids to go to Kids Crew, they stay with us, which I'm excited for. We do this at the end of each month. Today is the fourth Sunday of the month. Every so often, once a quarter, every 13 weeks, we have a month that will have five Sundays in it. This happens to be one of those months as well. And so this week and, as it turns out, next week, the kids will be with us in our time of worship, and I'm excited for them to be with us today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, so I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. This past week, Rayleigh and I went with a group from our church, what we call our Capstone Senior Adult Ministry. We went on a trip to Branson, got back yesterday, had a wonderful time with that group and all that they did the last few days. Just a big shout out to the group that went and especially to Rosalie Bush who planned such a a great trip for the the group to go on. But as we were there and and having uh, fun, one of the things that was true is we ate a lot of food, too much food, in fact. Uh, Lots of, lots of good food. And, And even on the, on the the car ride back to the house after we'd gotten to the church and seen everybody off on their way home yesterday. Rayleigh said, well, what was your favorite part of the trip? And I said, really, for me, it was just the meals because at every meal we got to sit with somebody and spend time with them and just visit and share that time together, which was a lot of fun. But uh, goodness knows that, that we ate plenty uh, to the point that I was uh, full. And I was thinking about that even because that's really where we're going to We're going to zero in on a text here today in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus feeds a great crowd. In fact, of all of the miracles that are recorded in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, there are only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospel accounts. That is, first and foremost, the resurrection of Jesus. And secondly, what we refer to as the feeding of the 5,000. And that's going to be the passage that we focus on specifically today. Now, Last week, we were in Matthew chapter 10. If you're following along with us as we read our way through the Bible, each week we're picking a text that is from that week's reading. And what I've done is I have intentionally chosen some passages last week, this week, and even into next week that are all tied together. It's really a, a series of events linked by time that are told from the perspective of each of these gospel writers. So last week we saw in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus preaching to his disciples, his 12 disciples, and then sending them out on a mission that they would go and share Christ with others in surrounding villages and towns that they would share ultimately of the coming of the king, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the kingdom. And then this week, what we find are the events that have taken place just after they return. So as you read through the gospels, when you get to Mark chapter six, you see Jesus doing the very same thing in Mark six that, he, that we saw him do in Matthew chapter 10. And then they return. And they return and they share with Jesus all that has happened as he has sent them out. And that's actually where we're going to pick up the events here in Mark chapter 6 is as they were returning and giving their report to Jesus. And then next week, we will be in John chapter 6. And the passage that we're going to study in John chapter 6 are the events that happen the day following this effectively. So Matthew, we see the disciples are sent out. And then we see, I said next week, actually that's in two weeks. Uh, let, me, let me back up a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's in uh, two weeks that will be in John chapter 6. Next week will be in the gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at a passage 
uh, in Luke chapter 15, the story of the lost son. But then when we get into the gospel of John, two weeks from today, I keep all this straight in my head, we will be, we will be focusing on the passage where the events take place the, the following day, effectively, from what we find here. And Jesus makes this proclamation to his disciples, his followers, that I am the bread of life. Now, the reason I've chosen these events that are all linked together is to see the fact that the Gospels, though they're operating from the different perspective of each of the different Gospel authors, are really telling one story. And that's been the point of our entire focus this year as we're reading through the Bible, what we're calling Redemption Story, a journey through the Bible. It's a Bible reading plan that we're, that we're working through together as a congregation. At least we've invited you to work through this and, and read through the Bible with us. And what I hope you are seeing is that the 66 books of the Bible are telling one story. The four Gospels are giving us one story of this one man, Jesus. Now told from the unique perspective of four different authors, four different gospel writers, but still telling the same story, the same good news message of this Jesus. And even here in the passage that we're going to study today, in Mark chapter 6, we see that this Jesus who is good, who has compassion for us, that he also has power to do what we cannot do but he's working on our behalf. And when he works, what he does is always good, and it's enough. It's enough for us to be satisfied. Let's look together at Mark chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus. Now, again, this returning from the, what we're going to call the mission trip that he sent them out on in Matthew chapter 10. We saw that last week. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, just as a quick aside, this is by no means the main thrust of the message. It's not the main point of the text. It's, it's really uh, a secondary, I don't, it may not even qualify as a secondary point. It's sort of an, an auxiliary point of the, the, the message. But nonetheless, I think one of the things we learn from this is that it's good to find the balance between rest and work. It's good to work for the Lord. It's good to do things for his kingdom, to pursue kingdom pursuits, and to work hard for, for the advance of the gospel. But it's also okay to rest. It's also okay to slow down, to unplug, to get alone with the Lord so that our batteries might be recharged, as we would describe it. And that's what Jesus is telling the disciples to do here, to have some rest, to have some, some Sabbath away from the crowds. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And then this is a very key point that we'll come to, but I want to point it out even as we're reading through. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. We learned from Luke's gospel that this desolate place 
was near Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a fishing village. In fact, the name Bethsaida even just come, it's derived from the, their language that would have meant like the, the fish town, basically. Just a fishing village, a remote fishing village along the, uh, along the Sea of Galilee. They, they recognize it's, it's late, we're in a remote place, send them out, right? That's what they say in verse uh, 34, he went ashore, saw a great crowd, had compassion on them, he began to teach them, and when it grew late, his disciples said, this is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, this, this miracle is, is really, it's almost, we would say, unbelievable, right? It certainly seems impossible. And, and so the, the, the tendency is to try to explain in, in rational terms how this could have been accomplished, to try to explain. And yet, when we, when we accept for what John is telling and the other gospel writers are telling us, we, we know that there's no rational explanation. There is no logic, logical, material way that these events could be true. The only explanation here is truly a divine miracle. That, I suppose, or just the fact that it's a falsified story written for effect. Certainly, we don't believe that to be true. And so, we understand that the gospel writers are giving us here the account of a a miracle, truly a divine miracle that Jesus performs in order to point us to see him as the bread of life, as he points out in John's gospel. We'll see that in a few weeks when we study that passage. To see that Jesus is the bread of life, to see that he is the provider. He is the one who blesses us. He is the one who satisfies us so that when we come to Jesus, what he offers is enough. In fact, I would contend that the main point of this story for us to see is that Jesus is enough and that he has everything that we need, that he is able to multiply and bless and do what we cannot so that we come to know that Jesus is enough. He's enough to meet our need. He's enough to satisfy our desire. He's enough to help us bless others as we come to him. And so we'll see that this morning as we, as we work our way through. Think of it this way as you think about the, the events that are transpiring here. Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and he blesses it. Now what we know to be true about the five loaves 
and the two fish is that these loaves, this is not what you and I think of as a loaf of bread that you buy at the store. I suppose even if it were, it'd be a miracle enough, right, to feed this great crowd of thousands with five loaves of bread and, and two fish, maybe two big fish if we think, think of, but that's not what this would have been. This was a, we, we know again from one of the other gospel writers, this is a young boy's sack lunch. And so the five loaves represent what we might describe as five barley cakes. In my mind, they would have been not much more than crackers, but in my mind, what I picture, and maybe this is a helpful analogy, are those rice cakes. You know what I'm talking about? Those rice cakes that you get, those things are gross, by the way, but you know what I'm talking about. If, if I'm going to eat a rice cake, it needs to be like a rice crispy treat. Like that's what I want. Get the, mar- the marshmallow in there, the, the, all the sugar and the goodness. But those rice cakes that you can buy, something about that, a, a, a barley cake of sorts, a big a, a cracker. And then the fish, these were likely pickled fish, not fresh fish, because you're not going to send a boy off with, with two fresh fish to go fillet and cut them open and cook them in the countryside, right? These are probably pickled fish or more like, again, what we might think of as sardines, like canned sardines. Uh, canned tuna, gross, right? Again, not what, not what I would, uh, rice cakes and, and tuna, this is not my eye. But, uh, but think, this is, this is how I want you to picture this in your mind. In Jesus' day and time, this is the equivalent of a Lunchable. You know, those Lunchable uh, lunches that, that, that kids can do, you can send that. This is, this is a, a, a box lunch. And yet in the hands of God, a box lunch becomes a banquet feast. Because Jesus is able to do what we can't do. In the hands of Jesus, when he blesses it, when he gets a hold of of what this young boy has, it is more than enough. And that's the point I want you to see this morning, is that in the hands of Jesus, whatever you have, whatever you offer, as meager as it may seem, as as ordinary, as plain, as as unmiraculous or, or, or... just normal, as you may think of yourself. In the hands of God, when he blesses your life, when he moves, it's enough. Not only is it enough for you, but it's enough to bless others. And that's the point of the miracle, that it's pointing us not just to something miraculous, something indescribable. Yes, that's powerful. But it's pointing us to something greater, that in the hands of Jesus what we have is enough. And so I want us to see three key points. Now I've already, for those who are, are really paying attention, I've already given you these three points uh, this morning, but let's go back through and let's review them as we kind of dig into this and study them uh, at depth here. The first is this, that Jesus has enough to meet your need. That Jesus has enough to meet your need. Let's be clear, on our own, any one of us, we don't have enough to satisfy our ultimate need because the greatest need that any of us have is for forgiveness of sin. The greatest problem, the greatest need that exists in your life is for forgiveness of sin, a right relationship with God. Think back if you've been reading into a few chapters before this in Mark where the four friends bring their paralyzed, the four men bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Jesus is teaching in a house and they bring the man to the house and they begin to cut away a section of the roof 
and they lower this paralytic man into the house where Jesus is. And Jesus sees the man and he's moved with the heart of compassion. And he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And those who are standing by begin to talk to themselves. Who is this guy that he thinks that he has power to meet this, that he can forgive sins? Because they understood that that was in effect, that was Jesus equating himself with God. That was a, a, a declaration of his divinity in a, in a sense. And so they begin to talk amongst themselves and Jesus sensing this and all that's going on says, I, I get it. I understand. Let me prove to you the power that I have. And then he says to him, he says, take up your mat and walk. And he gets up and he, and he walks. And I think one of the key lessons we learn in that and many of the other great miracles that Jesus performs is that he has the power to meet our greatest need. Yes, he can heal the sick. Yes, he can turn water to wine. Yes, he can raise the dead to life. But the greatest need that any of those people have, the greatest need that you and I have is for forgiveness of sin. And Jesus came to do amazing things, but the purpose of those amazing things was point us to the most amazing thing of all. He made a way for us to be forgiven and have a right relationship with God through offering himself as the sacrifice for our sin. He gave his life the willing sacrifice, and he was resurrected from the dead in order to prove to us his power over sin and death. Jesus can do what you cannot do. Jesus says to the disciples here, when they discover that, look, it's late in the day, all these people are around, they're pressing in close, they're going to be wanting something to eat soon. The disciples say, Jesus, the crowd's hungry, let's scatter them, let's send them on their way, and let's pick it up again another day. And Jesus says this to them. Look at what he says. You give them something to eat. Key focus there on the word you, right? In verse 37, you give them something to eat. You see, what Jesus says to the disciples effectively is meant to help them understand that they cannot, they can do a lot of wonderful things. They've just returned from a mission trip into the surrounding area preaching the gospel, telling of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, advancing the kingdom. Jesus gave them power to perform miracles. Jesus gave them power and he equipped them to do things that they would not be able to do. But the point that Jesus is driving home here is that there are some things yet that they even cannot do for themselves. And the greatest among all of this, of course, is his power over sin and death. Now, he hasn't fully revealed all of that just yet. But everything he's doing is working toward their greater awareness and their understanding of his divine purpose and his divine work that he would reveal at just the right time. And so he says to them here, you give them something to eat. But they say, Jesus, what do you want us to go into the the local fish market and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? Now, when you kind of do the math, we don't understand uh, a, a denarii is, a, you know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. So uh, that would be, a, a denarius was about, uh, about a day's wage, about a day's labor. So that's about 200 days labor. Or let's just do some simple math, right? Uh, that would be, in effect, two-thirds of a year worth of salary. And just for the sake of 
making the numbers nice and even to work with. Let's say you made $100,000 a year, and so this would be $66,000, right? Jesus, you want us to go buy a whole bunch of bread in the local market? Now, first of all, the local market in a remote fishing village wouldn't have had $66,000 worth of bread in it, right? I mean, that's not even, it's not even possible. And that's the point that they're making. Jesus, you want us to, what do you want us to do? Go into town and buy up all the bread? Like we, that's, there's no way we could do that. We don't have that. That's not going to be enough to feed the crowd. You need to understand something else about this crowd. It tells us here that the crowd were 5,000 men. Again, we know from the other gospel writers who state it more explicitly that that was the men, that there were other women and children who were there too. And so, Again, we don't know the precise number. There's not an exact head count. But if you just do some simple calculation, you just sort of extrapolate the, the easy math. If there are 5,000 men, let's just make the assumption that there are 5,000 women as well. And let's just say that there are two kids per every man and woman. And so that would be a crowd of 20,000 if we just do that quick math on that. Now, maybe it was, maybe it was more, maybe it was less. We don't know. But the, the point is, it's a, a great crowd of people. In fact, if you've ever been to a Thunder game, like if you've ever been to the, the Peak, right, the Chesapeake Center in Oklahoma City, the capacity of the Chesapeake Center is just a little bit less than 20,000. So imagine in your mind, Chesapeake Arena, full of people, that many people gathered on a remote countryside, and Jesus is preaching to them, and they're doing these things, and and the disciples say, what, we're so, you want us to go buy up all the bread that doesn't exist and feed this crowd that we could never possibly feed? Jesus, there's no way. And so Jesus presses even more and takes it a step further. Okay, well then search throughout the crowd and find out how much food there is. And they come back with a report, well, Jesus, there's a Lunchable, right? <laughs> we, got the, we got the Chesapeake Arena full of people and, and we got a Lunchable. And somehow we're supposed to feed everybody with that? No way, Jesus. And that's the point. That's the point that we need to recognize here. There's no way that's enough. There's no way a Lunchable could meet all that need, right? But he did. How? Because in the hands of Jesus, it's enough. In the hands of Jesus, that sack lunch becomes a banquet feast, right? We keep reading. And we, we recognize that Jesus blesses it, prays over it, and they begin to divide it. They've organized the people into groups of hundreds and fifties, groups by a hundred and by fifty. And again, the, the purpose there, because uh, we think, well, why do they do that? Well, the, the purpose is, is likely just to make it for an easy distribution and also so that they could be counted. They would recognize that there was an order and a structure. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, y'all watch. Uh, I tell you what, why don't you divide the group, group up in a really organized, orderly fashion? You bring me that Lunchable, and I'm about to do something that you won't believe. And that's exactly what he does. And when they're done, they eat, and then we read this key point. They ate and were satisfied, we read in verse 42. Now, that's the greatest miracle of all, perhaps. The fact that Jesus satisfied them with some rice, rice cakes and tuna fish, right? That would never do it for me, by the way. I'm way too picky. But Jesus takes this meager lunch and he feeds them. And it's not just that everybody got a nibble, 
right? We think of like when we do the Lord's Supper, in fact, next Sunday, we'll celebrate as a part of our worship. We'll, we'll observe the Lord's Supper together. And when we do the Lord's Supper, you have effectively what we think of as a little wafer and a shot glass of grape juice, right? And you could think, okay, well, Jesus gives, everybody just gets, everybody gets a little bit. No, no. They had enough that everybody ate until they were full, until they were satisfied. And then there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Why are those details important? Because it helps us to see that this is, this goes way beyond just somehow the idea that we could just divide this up. Maybe it was uh, a lot of bread. No, there's no way. There's no way. Jesus blesses it, it multiplies, and it's enough to satisfy. And so we see that Jesus has enough to satisfy your desire. Jesus has enough to meet your need, yes, but it goes beyond just meeting your need. Jesus has enough to satisfy your desire. Again, enough is the key word there. Now, I'm preaching this to a room full of people who I know that enough is never enough for you. And how do I know that to be true? Because I'm one of you, because I'm just like you. And the truth is, enough is never enough for us. Enough money, enough food, enough uh, security, enough wealth, enough happiness, enough entertainment, enough, 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 right? Enough is never enough. We are, we are a people who are, who are consumed with consumerism. We're a people in a culture that just want and want and want. Enough is never enough. John MacArthur points out in, in his commentary that this word satisfied, he says originally it's derived from the world of animal husbandry. In other words, it's a livestock type of term. This is an agricultural word, an agricultural term here, this word that Mark uses to speak of enough. And it speaks to the idea of being satisfied, gratified to the point that you don't want anymore, that you're full. I want you to picture it this way, okay? I want you to picture that feeling that you get on Thanksgiving, like after Thanksgiving lunch, like when you push away from the table and the tryptophan from the turkey hasn't quite kicked in yet, but you're full and you know that it's time to go, like, uh, to, to go, you know, relax. Uh, this is when this is when Nacho Libre would say, right, it's, it's a good time for stretchy pants that you, that, because it's time, you're, you're, you've eaten until you're full and it's enough. I want you to picture that in your mind because that's the term that points to that. Not coincidentally, that's the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, verse six, where he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied that's the word. It's the same word here. This idea of being satisfied, of it being enough. Jesus has enough to satisfy your desire. And so in the hands of Jesus, this simple lunch becomes this banquet feast for thousands. And they all eat and they're satisfied. But then we see this final key point as well. Jesus has enough to bless others. There's leftovers here when they're done, right? It's not just that Jesus met their need. Their most immediate need, their physical need was they were hungry. It's not just enough to give them something to eat. It's not just enough 
to feed them until they're full, but it's enough so that there's more left over so that they could eat again tomorrow, so that they could, so that they could box it up and, and, and take home the leftovers as well, right? It's, it's enough to bless others. It's interesting that one of the key points that we see in this is that Jesus has compassion on the crowd. Again and again in the Gospels, we see the compassion of Jesus at work. Why do the gospel writers go to such deliberate, purposeful lengths to point out the compassion of Jesus? I think it's because they're trying to help us to see the heart of this Savior God who came to give himself for us. It's not just that Jesus came to the earth to do what you and I couldn't do, but he did it motivated by his love and his compassion for us. And you need to hear this. This is a message for someone in the room today, that the same, the same heart of love and compassion that moved Jesus then is the very same heart of compassion that, that beats in his chest, as it were, as he is today seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, beats in his chest. I know I've used some anthropomorphism there, if you even know what that is. I mean, I, okay, I, re- get, I get that. But I want you to understand the point. The same compassion that moved God then is still at the very center of who he is today. So that he loves us. Let me take it a step further. He loves you. And his heart is for you. And his desire is to satisfy you. His desire is to give you what you need. His desire is to move in your life so that you see his power and you experience his goodness and you are moved by his being so that you would come to him for salvation because he is enough. Somehow we have this idea that we would come to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, but that it's, that when we accept that call, that it's just, he's calling us to this life of, be it hardship or suffering or sacrifice or, 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 or boredom perhaps even. And that it's, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and then all the good stuff ends. And so some people think, man, I'm going to get the most I can out of life. I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to, I'm going to drink it to the dregs. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to get everything I can out of this life, and then I'll come to Jesus. And when we make that tragic mistake, we miss the heart of compassion of this Savior God, whose desire is not only to forgive us our sins, but to give us life everlasting, to give us everything that we need, and to do it in a way that satisfies us, There's no truer peace, no greater satisfaction than to be in the middle of God's will and his purpose for your life. Now, that doesn't mean that all the hardship and the suffering are going to go away. It doesn't mean all the problems just evaporate like a mist and fade away. But what it means is that even in that, you have a Savior God who is enough No matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance you may find yourself in, You serve a God who is enough, enough to satisfy. That's the point I want you to see today, is that Jesus is enough. He has enough to meet your need, 
He has enough to satisfy your desire and ultimately working through you, it's enough to bless others. Because this same God with this same heart of compassion who works through the meager box lunch of this boy to produce a banquet feast can work through you and what you offer to bless others as well. Why? Because in the hands of God, it's enough. The same God who spoke into being all of creation is able to look at some simple crackers and say, go feed a thousands, right? And it's enough. The same God who made you The same God who loves you is able to take everything in your life and and bless it and move so that it's enough. It's enough. Would you be willing to give him your life today? Would you be willing to, much like the boy here, offers up what he has and say, here, well, here, Jesus, if you need it, you can have it. Would you be willing to say to Jesus, here, Lord, I want to give what I have to you so that you can bless it. Now, to be clear, Jesus didn't need the boy's lunch, right? Jesus could have fed the crowd without, in fact, really when you think about it, in a way, Jesus did feed the crowd without the boy's lunch because that was just the, that was just the, the, the jumping off point for his greater miracle. Jesus didn't need what the boy had, but he worked with it to bless and to multiply. Jesus doesn't need what you have. There's not something missing somehow in, in, in the nature of God that he looked at you and he looked at me and said, oh, there's a good one. I need them on my team. No, but because of his heart of compassion, he looks at us and he says, I will bless you. I will save you. I will multiply my goodness through you so that you become a conduit of blessing for others. Because in the hands of God, it's enough. Would you be willing to surrender your life to him today? In a moment, we're gonna move into a time of invitation, a time of response. And in our time of invitation, we're gonna sing and we're gonna invite God to work in our hearts and our lives. We're gonna say, Lord, would you move in me? The song we're gonna sing is a song that you've probably sung countless times before if you've grown up in church. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. But this morning as we sing that song, I hope that we sing it with a a new heart and a new understanding to see that it is sweet to trust in Jesus, to take him at his word and to let him work in us so that he will work through us, that we would be blessed and others would be blessed by his gospel as well. And as we sing that song today, if you've never trusted Jesus, you've never trusted him to forgive your sin, to to be the savior of your life. You've never come to him to find the the great desire of your heart satisfied in his salvation. And my prayer is that you would come to him today. Even as we sing, you can step out and make your way to the front. Our staff will be here at the front ready to pray with you and to pray as you submit your life to Jesus today, as you surrender your heart to him. Today, if you're ready to do that, then I pray that you would come even as we sing. Maybe, maybe you've surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sin, trusted him for salvation. But the struggle in your heart is you feel inadequate. You feel worthless. You feel just in, in so many ways un, unneeded. Or What I want you to hear today is that God has a plan and a purpose. And in his hands, it's enough if you would just be willing to give him your life. Lord, here I am. Here's my simple sack lunch. Would you make it a banquet feast so that others could be blessed?
Because in the hands of Jesus, a sack lunch becomes a banquet feast. Amen? Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Lord, as we come to you today, we pray that you would move in our hearts. Open our eyes to see that you are enough, Jesus. What seems impossible to us is quite possible with you. What seems improbable in your hands, Lord, is the plan. So would you work in us that our need would be met, that our desire would be satisfied so that you might bless others even through us as we come to you in faith. Jesus, be everything now as we look to you. This we pray in your name. Amen.